This podcast is sponsored by Australian Christian College, a network of schools committed to student well-being, character development and academic improvement. Welcome to the Inspiration Project, where well-known Christians share their stories to inspire young people in their faith and life. Here's your host, Brendan Corr. Well, hi there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Inspiration Project podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome our special guest to this episode. Margaret Court is an exceptionally well-known Australian, most known for the success that she's had in the tennis court. Uh, She is, without doubt, the greatest woman tennis player uh, arguably the greatest tennis player with the most success uh, of, uh, of anyone that's come before or since. Um, Margaret, we're so glad that you've been able to make some time to talk with us today. Um, can I welcome you to the Inspiration Project podcast? Oh, it's wonderful to be with you and uh, just be able to share a little bit of my life story. I, I love doing it. I had a very full life and uh, in sport, in ministry and both worlds I've enjoyed so much uh, what's been placed on my life. Thank you, Margaret. We will have a little chat about some of your life, some of your early stories, how you ended up becoming uh, the success that you you did become in, uh, in tennis and, and then explore how faith has become an important part of your life. So I look forward to what the next little while unfold for us. I found that somebody said to me, you know, you could be the first Australian woman. And people used to ask me, what do you want to do from tennis? I came from a country town. I say, I want to be the first Australian woman ever to win Wimbledon, not knowing what I was doing. I was speaking it into being, but then it was being activated in that because my coach saw the potential on me. There was alcohol in our home, so my escape was to the outdoors. Yeah, right. And I'd go over on the tennis courts every afternoon after school and and this coach and his wife didn't have any children, so they sewed their life into me in those early years. So, Margaret, yeah. you're living in a Why country a town. Story like that? Yeah, it is a great story. You're living in this yeah. country town, and there were 24 grass tennis courts opposite. In Albury, it's a great tennis Aubrey, centre. Yeah, right. Albury's in New South Wales. It's a great tennis centre. Uh, had a lot of good players come out of there, and uh, I just uh, used to sneak over there even when they was closed, mm. and I'd hit on the wall, and he'd let me do that. Mm. So, um, so, yeah, so, I, you know, I have had great people who have sewn into my life uh, through in those early years because my family didn't have the money to pay for anything, yeah. If, if it wasn't tennis, would it have been something else? Do you, you spoke track, about being a, a national running. athlete. I was a very good runner, yeah. Sprinting, yeah. middle distance? Uh, 220 back then. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, um, so you were yeah, quick. I just, uh, I love to run, Uh you know, I, I go for a walk even now and I feel like jogging, you know. So I've always loved that side of it. Yeah, I loved the outdoors and sport. I was kicked the football further than the boys and played cricket and beat the boys, you know. Yeah, right. So, um, yeah. Well, in, in that era, that wouldn't have gone down pretty very well, I wouldn't imagine. Did it cost you any well, friendships, make boys, you popular? I, I played boys in the street and I was the only girl, so I was sort of the leader of the gang. Had to hold your own and a bit more. Um, yeah, and uh, I think you know, if I look back, perhaps if I lived in today's society, you'd think mentally, you'd think with all what comes at the young people today, you'd wonder, well, because I used to say, oh, I, I, I'm, 
I wish I was a boy, mum, mm. you know. Mm. So, you know, mentally today, you, there was never even any thought of what young people face today. Yeah. That wasn't even there. Yeah. I had two brothers and a sister and I'd people and I'd say, well, I know I'm a girl mm. and they're boys. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't, even though I said that, I didn't think that way mm. and uh, I thought, no, I like beating the boys, mm. you know. Yeah, so good, good you on didn't you. Have that battle. You didn't have that battle there. I, I, I knew I was a girl, so I was a girl. Yeah, understand. You know? yeah. So you, you mentioned that tennis was an, an opportunity for you to think a bit more broadly than than just town. Um, what was there something that you carried a sense of of uh, purpose about your life? The sense of I have talent. There is there's uh, a responsibility for it to be developed. My coach saw it. My coach saw it on me. Uh, at the age of 15, I had to leave. Albury back then was only about 15,000 people. Mm. Uh, he said, you're either going to go, have to go to Sydney or Melbourne. Mm. And uh, I was winning country tournaments and schoolgirl tournaments. And uh, he went to Sydney and said to the coach uh, there, uh, you know, uh, that would you take her on? Mm. And he said, no, she's too skinny, too scrawny. She'll never make it. So he took me to Melbourne and actually one of our old-time greats, Frank Sedgman, yes. he came with a coach to have a look and he said, she has something but we'll have to build her up in the gym. So back then women didn't pump weights or do mm. anything like that. So I was only 15. So I used to go into his gym uh, at uh, very early in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning before the guys started to come in. And uh, I started to lift weights mm. and do circuit training and a track and mm. train in the daytime and they, I worked in an office because at school uh, the Reverend Mother of the convent back then, I think she saw I had something and she said to me, uh, Margaret, she said, um, I think you need to do a business course. So mm. I learned shorthand typing. Yep. So I had that to go down even at the age of 15 to be a secretary. Mm. So I do that sort of work during the day and then they'd let me off for a couple of hours to go and train. Yeah, great. So, you know, they were, they were shaping me for the future. Uh, you couldn't really see it then, but I trained that hard. I wanted to be the first Australian woman to win Wimbledon. Mm. And I think people saw that potential there and the weights developed me mm. and strengthened me. And um, as somebody said, she... Uh, came a, like a thoroughbred. She mm-hmm. she developed. You know, I remember in the gym. I used to stand there and I'd see the be Mr. Victoria in there. Sometimes we'd lap over in changeover, looking in the mirror, and I'd I'd put my muscles up, and they looked like a chicken instep. You know, they were so <laughs> tiny, and so you know, you remember all those things because they they were part of your whole life in training. Indeed, and so it wasn't just the natural talent. That natural talent had to be directed and harnessed and. And shaped yeah, and supported right. by hard physical training. Hard physical training, and I think I hardly ever had any injuries. I was 15 years sort of and probably 10 of those years at number one in the world, and I hardly ever had any injuries where I saw a lot of the players have knee injuries or shoulder mm. injuries. I never had anything like that, and I think it was all my weight training Mm. and I've been very blessed through life because physically still uh, at my age 
uh, I haven't had any knee problems or hip problems or anything like that. And I believe it was all what I did in my early years yeah. uh, for my body. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Tennis, you had a, this this goal meant something to you very early. This seed of of uh, an idea that got sown into you by somebody first Wimbledon first woman Australian to win Wimbledon. Was that enough to carry you through, or or did you need to set other goals? leading up towards that one? Was was the, the big prize sufficient? Um, you know, I've always learned, uh, I think, as a little girl that I had that vision there. Mm. I had that goal out in front of me and all mm. through life, even now, uh, you have to have vision, you have to have goals. And, uh, you know, when you, you look at it back in my early years, I didn't know anything about Wimbledon. Mm. Um, it, we had no TV. Yeah. I didn't even know who was the number one tennis woman player in the world. Um, but there was something, I think, uh, as a little girl, my mum used to say to you, because I'd win a few, whether it was under 10 or under 12, 20, she'd say it's a gift from God. Mm. And so people would say to me, uh, as I got out, why is why are you so good? Mm. I said it's a gift from God, mm-hmm. and and I knew that, mm. and it it was interesting. I always used it to the best of my ability, yeah. even though you had things and struggles in life. I remember when I first went down to Melbourne, I didn't know how to eat properly. I stayed with a family and say, "Would you teach me how to put the knife and fork properly?" Because I see them doing it different to me, yeah. and I didn't know how to speak properly. And I'd say to uh, Frank Sedgman, I was fortunate to live with them for a couple of years, and I'd say to her, would you, because sp- I heard myself at the ABC do a interview, mm. and I thought, oh, I don't speak very well. And so I'd ask her, would you help me, um, mm. you know, pick me up when mm. I say something wrong and teach me? So I think I always was quite teachable. Yeah, so the, the attitudes of training. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So this, this to learn. habit of growth, improvement was, was something that yeah, um, you carried into other I parts told, of life. I knew when there was something wrong when I was playing, um, I wanted to be better. Mm. You know, I always wanted to improve. And even when I was number one in the world, people say, oh, you're so good, you've done this or you've done that. I say, no, I can still improve yeah. in such yeah, And I think that was probably one of my strengths in many ways if I look back today, yeah. not knowing it at the time. But I always knew there was room for improvement. I think if I always thought, yeah, I look at me, I'm great, I don't think I, don't think I would have ever done what I did. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that you spent 10 years at the top, so the hard work to achieve that goal and be, become the success and then – was was it just as much hard work? Was it different sort of work to stay there to to uh, stave off the, oh, the it's contenders? Easy to get there, <laughs> <laughs> easy to get there. That's it was easy to get to the top. It was staying there. Mm. That was most difficult. And in that time, because in the early years was amateur, there was no yeah. money much. It was under the counter sort of thing, and we'd be away for ten months of the year. I used to get homesick. And that's why I came to retire in Perth when I was 25, mm. uh, won everything. I think I'd won two Wimbledons and probably four or five Australians and a couple of US and French. And a couple of Grand Slams, actually, I think, Margaret. A couple of 
Well, I hadn't won a grand. I've won a lot of the grand slams mm. <clears throat> in those early years, but I hadn't won the grand slam right. all in all the four in the calendar year. <laughs> Excuse me, and um, it wasn't. I retired, came to Perth. I picked up a squash racket and uh, uh, played squash. I didn't play tennis at all. I finished with tennis. And uh, this Perth was good. It was a hideaway. Nobody mm. knew me over here. The press mm. knew me so well in, mm. in the eastern states. And so I had a ball and opened a fashion boutique mm-hmm. uh, with a friend over here. And that was when I met my husband mm. in the those two years of retirement here. And when I just said to him after we're married, how about we go overseas? You see the life I led and we'll go farming. And so uh, that was the idea. But back, went back into tennis and got back to number two in the world in that first year after not picking up a racket for two years but played squash and got to number two in the state here in squash. And uh, so we... We enjoyed that trip and so then open tennis came in and that was a whole new game, whole different You could lifestyle. notice the difference in the, the way the, day, the game was played? Was, was it well, more intense? open tennis came in, the money came in. Yes. It's easier to travel. Uh, there was a lot more promotion. Things just changed a bit. And uh, so then somebody said to me, all the way through my career, I always had to have goals. I mm. wanted to be the first Australian woman uh, to win Wimbledon. Uh, then I wanted to uh, win the Grand Slam, all four, um, Australian, the French, Wimbledon, US, uh, all in the one year. That's very hard to do. Yes. I went close uh, two other times and uh, I hadn't done it. And uh, when you look at Serena Williams today, she still hasn't done it. Fedra mm. hasn't done it. Mm. It's, it's not easy to do it in the one year. And so somebody said to me, why don't you go for the Grand Slam? Mm. So it was uh, when we went back in, people say, what do you want to do? I say, I'd like to win the Grand Slam. And so that was 1970. Mm. And so we stayed on in open tennis then for about probably around eight years, nine Mm. years. And uh, probably I won more championships after I was married than I did before. And then after I had my first child, they said, she'll finish now. And I said, no, I haven't quite finished yet. I wanted to be the first mum to be number mm-hmm. one in the world. So that all happened uh, after our first child. So I always had those goals. Yeah. And uh, probably if I looked, I should have said I'd like to win a second Grand Slam. Uh, but uh, I, that goal wasn't there and I fulfilled. And when I hung my rackets up, I knew I fulfilled everything. I didn't. You were happy to I walk away? I didn't miss it at all. Mm. Yeah. It was the right time for you. Yeah. Yeah, it was the right time for me uh, to retire. Uh, but I did come back after a second child thinking I'd do as well because mm. after that first child, I won 23 out of 24 tournaments that, that second year back after that. And... Um, and then I thought, well, I have another one and come back, but my heart wasn't there anymore and I didn't have any goals. Yeah. That's why it's important to have goals. Yeah, yeah I, I can understand. You, you mentioned earlier in our conversation that the your, your, your capacity to state this is what I'm aiming for, this is to articulate the yeah. end point generated yeah. a, a motivation in you that could carry you through. And it, it motivates you 
to go that harder, to mm. work a little bit harder. Mm. It motivates you uh, to train more. Mm. I mean, Percy Serity probably was one of the best track uh, coaches. He, he coached Herb Elliott, who was a great uh, runner back in those times. And uh, we, there was a whole group of tennis players in Melbourne, and we used to go run down, run at Port C, mm. down with him and run on the sand hills. And then we would go up into the dandy log. I mean, by the end of the day, we could hardly walk. Yeah. But you knew there was something in you that you just wanted to push that little bit more, do that little bit extra. Mm. Yeah, you could get away with not doing it, but you just knew if you wanted to be the best. And I think, uh, you know, Frank Sedgman used to say, uh, if you want to be the best in the world, you're going to have to be fitter than anybody. Mm. And my coach in Melbourne said to me, because no Australian had ever won the French championship, it's on clay. Yeah. We didn't have clay. Yeah. And so we only had Car in Victoria, and but we did never, ever played on clay. And my coach would say to me, okay, if you can get the ball over 100 times in a row, he said, you'll beat all those European girls because they knew how they didn't volley. I was a very good volley. The game was different today. I loved to volley. I'd serve volley and, and that was part of my skill. And uh, he said, if you can hit the ball over 100 times, well, I'd get to 92. And if I missed it, he'd say, let's start again. Oh. So we, that's what was put into me. Mm. But I, I love that. I love the training of it all, um, probably even more than the competition side of it. I love to get out and I love to run and to jump and do circuit training. And that was easy to me. Mm. And And this was all for your self-fulfillment. It wasn't for the crowds or for the accolades or for the, the, the publicity. It wasn't for self-fulfillment. I said I wanted to be the first Australian woman mm. ever to win Wimbledon. Don't ask that crying because mm. I played for my nation. Yeah. I still yeah. love my nation. Amen. Pray for my nation. Yes. Um, <laughs> sorry. That's okay. It's a beautiful <laughs> thing to see your heart. Well, I know the Holy Spirit does that every yes. time I mention Australia. Yes. I pray for my nation that it becomes a Christian nation. Um, but I used to see the flag going up when I was playing and it bring tears to my eyes and goosebumps. And um, I prayed for the, I played for the people of this nation. Yeah. Yeah. And we are, I think the nation is, is uh, very proud of the way you represented our, our nation. You're a much treasured personality in, in our history. Margaret, can I ask you, you mentioned earlier that you would tell people how, why was it that you were so good that it, you would answer, this is a gift from God. And you obviously had an awareness of God in early in your life, going to a Catholic school. What was the change of experience from that, that uh, more distant, more formal notion of God to a very deeply personal relationship with God? Well, I think when I was a little girl and my mum uh, would go to church and to mass every Sunday and we'd have to go and didn't fully understand it all because it was in Latin and French. Mm. And um, But I always knew uh, about Jesus and mm. particularly Easter and Christmas and 
and I used to pray. Uh, and then being in a Catholic school uh, that was there and I knew the Ten Commandments and, you know, there was some wonderful morals and values placed mm. into my life. Mm. And, uh, you know, I never forgot that. And as uh, a reverend mother, uh, she could see, I think, the athletic side of me. And she was a remarkable lady, a beautiful lady. Mm. She lived late into her 90s and uh, she would say to me, "That's." she was the one that said to me at the age of uh, 14, I think you need to do a business course because somehow I feel you're going to go on in sport and mm. that's where your heart is and I believe you'll do well and you you need to do this. So there were such people through my life that sort of saw mm. something on me or guided me mm-hmm. and, um, uh, you know, right through that time and uh, all through there, even when I was travelling and then I started to become famous and, and even in my sport, I, whatever nation I went to, I, I would go to church. Mm. And uh, the press would say to me, why are you so good? I mm. said, it's a gift from God. Mm. And I would ask him sometimes, please help me. Mm. Um, and I'd sort of say, God, I'm not, I, I can't do this. I'm not going to last. And I, knew, I know this is a gift from you. Please help me. Mm. And, you know, sometimes there would be just like this strength would come. Mm. And I think, where would it come from? Mm. And I always knew there was something far greater than me. Mm. And I talked to him, just I didn't know what I know today from the Bible. I didn't Mm. even own a Bible. Mm. But I knew this, there was something bigger than me, stronger than me. I knew he made the trees. Uh, I knew, you know, the, the beauty and I'd be walking across the road in France or somewhere and I'd see somebody in the wheelchair and I'd say, thank you, God. Yeah. Thank you for my health. Amen. And so in this childlike, <clears throat> excuse me, very simple way, the word, that was built in me. And I think it was one year I was uh, playing in the French championship and I, I went to church there and I was speaking in Latin and French and I said, God, I don't understand a word they're saying. I know you're there. Why don't you reveal yourself to me? And uh, that year I went on to America and family we stayed with there and we got to know over the years. She was going off to all these meetings and uh, gave me these little books and I said to my husband, this was uh, sort of in the, be uh, back in the early, probably back uh, in the early 80s, I think it was. No, the early 70s. Mm-hmm. And um, and I said, I think she'd become a religious nut. And mm-hmm. I put these books in the rubbish bin, but I kept one about accepting Jesus Christ mm. uh, as Lord of my life. And it was in that uh, time when I came home uh, that was in the Catholic renewal, actually. A mm. friend of mine uh, said, I'd just given my heart to Christ. And I said, Funny, I read a little book on that, but it didn't mean much. I'd like to come with you. And uh, so that was in 1971. Mm. And um, so I went along to meetings with them Mm. and uh, I gave my heart to Christ. Uh, I went forward in a meeting and uh, said the prayer of salvation and then went back into tennis after that for about yeah. another four years. Yeah. But I had such an experience. I had a, a real encounter when I gave my heart to Christ. Yeah. 
and uh, he came to live on the inside of me and I knew that. Went back into the tennis world, different. Even the press people say, what is it? Something's happened to you. I said, I went along to a meeting and I said, you know, I said the prayer of salvation when you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. And I said, I said that. And that was Romans 10, 9 and 10. And I, I, when I went back on the circuit, I said um, to somebody, please write that prayer out for me. And, you know, I got thousands of people around the world saved through that prayer. And that's all I really knew. And I'd say, I want you to be in heaven with me. And wouldn't that be good? Because we know one another. We may not see one another after I finish my tennis. And they said, yeah, we'd like that. It was so simple. So, um you know, he's always been there, but now you know yeah. so much more from yeah. the Bible and the New Testament and the epistles, um, who you become in Christ. And I, you know what? I'd love to have known what I know today, particularly in the area of the mind, the mind's a battlefield, particularly when I was playing tennis, because you'd lack confidence at times or insecurities in yourself. Mm. I feel I would have won six Wimbledons, not three. Wow. Because I... I beat myself. People used to say to me, you should never lose a match, but you're your own worst enemy. And, you know, in the scriptures it says, as a man thinketh, yes. so is he. Yes. And life and death are in the power of the tongue when you eat the fruit of it. And if I had known some of these biblical, uh, you know, scriptures and the mind mm. particularly, uh, you wouldn't have the battles you have. Mm. You'd, you, you'd think on the good things, the lovely things, the pure things. Mm. You, you'd learn to stabilise that mind even more. Yeah, would have been a marvellous to, to see the, the career that might have been if you'd had it from the start. Margaret, being somebody famous and having such a life-transforming experience as, as you've described for us, was it harder to, to live that under the inspection of the media and the public and your your other people well, on, the, life, on the um... your life is never your own mm. uh you know with particularly with media uh media back then probably is not as bad as they are today mm. uh weren't so much in your face the media knew the game uh they would be the same people uh, traveling with you 10 12 years you get to know them mm. uh, you could trust them more back then today i mean they change just every other maybe a year or six months, Mm. you never see the same face very often twice Mm. Um, and not so much in your front face. They knew the sport Mm -hmm. Uh, and they knew your history. They knew your life. They knew you were genuine. Uh, So there was a a respect there between you. Uh, You don't see that today. Um, But, uh, you know, you knew you were representing your nation. I was taught that as a little girl. Um, I was my coach. I remember throwing my racket into the back fence. I didn't think he was looking when I was little. He said to me, you ever do that again, I will not coach you. Mm. And so that was hit right on the head Mm. right at that time. And uh, I was always taught you're a role model Mm. for the next generation. You're a role model. You represent your nation. Uh, People are watching you. Mm. The press is, is watching you. And young people watch what you do. Mm. And so uh, I was always taught, we mm. were taught to be role models for for the next generation and for our nation. Mm. Becoming a Christian, did that change that notion? Did it 
raise the stakes for you to say, no, I'm not just ripping my um, nation, I mean, I'm representing I mean, my faith? Uh, when I was um, a number one in the world, uh, I thought I always had that to a certain extent, but becoming a, a Christian and I was representing Jesus Christ. Mm. And I wanted everybody to know Jesus. Mm. I wanted the whole world to know what I had because when I gave my heart to Christ, I came this unbelievable joy. Yeah. And uh, the, that's why the press would say, why are you smiling? You never used to smile like that. You're always so serious. And I'd say, I don't really know, but I know I gave my heart to Christ and he's come to live on the inside of me. And I said, I don't know, it's just something that he now lives within me. And I said, I have this joy. And so in many ways it did. I was representing him. Yeah. Uh, but I always felt before you that part of that was there, but I never knew the reality of it. I understand. Yeah. So you've carried your faith into your tennis and, and it uh, sustained you and, and gave you opportunity to, to share the good news with others. At the end of tennis, your, your um, activities took another turn. You felt a call to, to uh, ministry. Can you tell us a bit about how, how that part of your life developed? Well, in uh, 1982 and 83, uh, after I hadn't become uh, very well having the children and my husband was away and I went through a time of sickness and I went into Bible school and uh, I was healed in Bible school, totally healed. Mm. Um, you know, I had, I just had the family and uh, started to help people and work within my our church back then. Excuse me, I'm just going to have a little drink. Yeah, feel feel free. We understand it entirely. And um, I found uh, with the children, I just worked within the church, in mm. our church, and did things not knowing one day that perhaps I was going to pastor. I didn't know any of that. and But I loved helping people. Mm. I saw people, um, and, you know, even when I was playing tennis, I did too. Mm. Um I always saw a weakness back then in somebody's game. I would help them. You'd act as a <laughs> act as a, a quasi coach for your for your competitors. Yeah, Is that right? it, yeah. Well, I did. You saw that back then. Yeah. And um, but then when I came over into the gospel and Christianity and finishing Bible school, I saw what the Word of God did in my life. Yes. And um, I'd find I uh, just look at people and see whether they were depressed or they had a need. And mm. I started helping people. Mm. I worked in the nursery. Then I worked in, to, in the area of uh, teaching on prayer. I've always mm -hmm. loved prayer. I've been an intercessor for ever since I became born again. And um, I found within our church I had a very a big prayer ministry. We had about 300 in that. So wow. I led that. I was in counselling and hospital visitation, home visitation, all these things and bringing up a family um, of, uh, with uh, a, a son and uh, three daughters. Yes. We know how they're all married and we have nine grandchildren. And um, I find uh, all those things uh, were part of training for my life that God had not knowing in uh, 1991 that I was going to be ordained as a minister. Uh, then the Lord laid on my heart 
to have a ministry out into community centres. Mm. And uh, so I did that uh, for about five years, helping people seeing the needs out in the city, mm. getting people saved, praying for the sick, mm. uh, just encouraging and teaching people what I learned, particularly in the area of the mind, mm. overcoming depression, dealing with fear, just the normal things of life. Mm. And uh, so the Lord spoke to me, it would have been back in about 1995, he said, I want you to pastor a church. Mm. Well, I didn't know any women that did that. Yeah. And then somebody told me um, that there was uh, a lady in Singapore that had a very large church. And then I read something on Brother Hagen on women in ministry, and I, I started to see, well, God, you've called me. And I said to my husband, my husband was a great encouragement to me in my tennis days. We traveled together. And I said to him, I feel God's calling me to be a pastor. And he just said, well, if you are called to be to do that, you better do it. Mm. And so there, back in that time, uh, the Holy Spirit showed me uh, two men who I went through Bible school with who had works in country areas. Uh, they... Um, I got their faces and I phoned them and I said, uh, look, don't give me an answer right away. I said, I want you to pray about it for me in a couple of weeks. Uh, God's calling me to start a church and like you to come in alongside me. Mm. And they'd both been out in ministries for 10 years. They both come back and said, yeah, we believe it's God. Wow. So that's how we started Victory Life Church here in Perth, and it's nearly 25 years ago now. And out of that, uh, we put now put out uh, over 50 tonnes of food a week wow, into community. And what is happening in community at the moment, you can imagine how, how large that's got. We have an international Bible training centre. We're in 20 nations of the world. Um, and it's just grown and grown and and I've seen what God's done in it, this wonderful grace upon yeah, it. Yeah. Um, it's not about me. Uh, it's about people's lives changing, uh, people being set free. Yes. And uh, we just uh, find it just, uh, you know, we have churches all around the world now. So it's been a great experience and a walking a walk, I yes. think. Uh, no different in many ways to the tennis circuit. You had your battles we have our battles in life, yeah. whatever you're in, whether you're heading up a school or you're heading up a church or you're the prime minister, there's always battles. and um, But you, you learn how to walk through them. And that's what's so wonderful, I think, about Christ and the Holy Spirit. Indeed. Uh, you know they're on the inside of you. They'll yes. bring you through the yes. toughest times. And, and uh, you know, we've got the greatest coach on the inside of us. And uh, we seek him in prayer. Mm. We put him first. I always learned a wonderful thing in Bible school. It's always God first, mm. husband, wife, children, work, ministry. And you put your priorities yeah. right and you always find that yeah. um, he comes through. You've mentioned the some of the challenges that you are currently meeting as in ministry, the needs are out there. You mentioned some of the things in your own life where it was hard and it um, tough times. Um, the, well, the notion that Christianity doesn't exempt us from difficulty or challenge or sickness, but 
is an answer or an antidote to those things? Do you have some reflections on that? I think we all go through things. Um, uh, you know that particularly even when you have a family and your children and uh, you the worry or the care or the stresses or a business. And, uh, you know, when I went into Bible school, uh, we looked like losing all our finances. Mm. Uh, we, uh, and my husband was in a, a company and, uh, you know, and you had these, had children and, and I was sick, mm. uh, had been sick and we looked like losing our finances. I wasn't well, you weren't coping. Uh, but it's amazing what the Bible, what's in the Bible. It's our TV guide to life. Mm. It's our roadmap to success. Mm. And I always look back and I think from even that time and even in sport, the biggest battle was the area of the mind. Mm. Whether you're a young person, uh, it doesn't matter how little, uh, how big, what we're through, it's this mind Mm. is where the battlefield is. It's a gateway down into your heart. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can think on things long enough and gets down into there. The next thing you'll be speaking it and you'll be doing it. Mm. And that's why we learn to train up in this, this area uh, to think on the good things, lovely Mm. things, pure things. I think if anything I've learned, you go through things, whether it's uh, sickness uh, whether it's in a family, whether it's marriage. My husband and I have been married 53 years now. Congratulations. And uh, so fif- coming up 54, but I've had to work the word of God. Yes. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. And then you have children or they go off somewhere and they're getting into wrong things. You learn how to pray, mm. but to take the word of God and trust God. Mm. And you learn if you have that word put into them, uh, when they're young and know God when they're young and put the scriptures in there because mm. I haven't got a spirit of fear mm. but of power and love and sound mind. The Lord is the light of my salvation. If you meditate those things, mm. you'll walk in life without fear. It'll try mm. and come. Mm. Indeed. But you start to take the word of God, it's spirit. Mm. Uh, when we give our heart to Christ, we are a spirit being. We live in a body and we have a soul, which is the area of the mind. We try being. And then, then there's God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, tri-being. Mm. Well, he's made us in the image of he. We come when we give our heart to Christ. We come into this wonderful covenant with yes. him. And when we get married, uh, we come into covenant. We mm. become one flesh. When mm. we come into Christ, we become one in spirit. And that's why the Bible is such a spiritual book. Yes. You and I'll pass away, but yes. his word won't. So you learn that words... Yeah, and powerful what yeah. you speak. Yeah. And, um, you know, as that little girl wanting to be the first Australian woman to win Wimbledon, you learn the power in those words. Yes. And no different to when you get to 60 or 30 or 40 or 70. Your life and death are in the power of the time. So you, you learn, uh, you know, those thoughts. Even when I went through depression, I thought, God, life's not worth living. Mm. And I learned through the scriptures that life was worth living. Amen. That we're valuable, that we're precious, that we're made in the image of it. I started to speak that. Yes, amen. And how much God loved me. I didn't know. Nobody ever taught me. I thought God was out to get me. Yes. Uh, I started to hear how much he 
He loved me and gave yeah. his life for me. Yes. And I started to say that, God, you love me so much. You gave your, your life for me. If I was mm. only a person in the world, you gave your life for me. Yes. And, you know, you start to know his love. Yes. And uh, faith comes by hearing. It's who you get around. You get around the wrong group of people and they're speaking negative and they're saying things over you all the time. Or you may come from a, a home that, like I came, there was alcohol in our home. My escape was out to the out to the tennis courts. My mum didn't drink, but my dad did. Mm. And there was always these arguments and fights and words and my, that was my escape. Mm. And uh, so I looked for it out there. I, wa- I wanted to become good at something, you know. Uh, but you, you learn that through the scriptures that God's always given us the roadmap to success, even if we're little, even yes. if we're old, Amen. to be able to learn about the words of our mouth, about yes. our mind. And uh, he said, be not conformed, but be transformed yes. by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Margaret, you've been talking about the power of God's word and the power of that that is in our capacity to, to claim and profess that word. It's the power of, of uh, criticism, it would be fair to say that in the last few years you've been the target of some pretty hefty criticism. What, what have you found to be the, the counteracting power of some of that language, some of those words that have, that have been used to describe you or about you? Well, I think it was interesting, uh, you know, when I went back in my tennis days and I gave my heart to Christ and I knew even back then there would be criticism because I was very open mm. with with people say what is it I say I've become a born-again Christian I've given my heart to Christ and I've had a wonderful encounter with him I mean that's the way mm. I speak yeah and uh, I remember even back in those times uh, I was in prayer one day and the Holy Spirit said to me, when you speak to press, only say what I say. Mm. Uh, and if you're going to talk about the Bible, say what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. And I always have learned to say what God says. Mm-hmm. It's not what I say, yeah. particularly about marriage mm. or family uh, or different morals and values. As long as I can say it in love, I love the people. Yes. Uh, but a wrong doesn't make a right. Yes. And uh, I feel our young people of today are being very robbed uh, because I did learn when I was little what was right and mm. what was wrong. Mm. You don't step over some boundaries mm. or you're going to get into trouble. And I had learned those things through the Ten Commandments, through the Our Father. Mm. They, they were planted into me. And I feel with the press, you know, because we'd had marriage for 2,000 years, why would you change it? Because God says in Genesis, marriage is between a man and a woman, and then Jesus says exactly the same in the Gospels. And then Paul says it in the epistles, and he said this is a mystery. And that's why that is a mystery, because we become one spirit when we come into Christ and then when we're marriage, we become one flesh. We're like in, interwoven one with another and that's how God's family, it's all interwoven. We're in him and he's in us. And and with the press, 
I just to say what God says. Yeah. So when I say what God says, it takes it off me. The personal. Puts yep. it on God. Understand. And so I know in my heart that my heart is pure. Yes. I've said it out of love and not out of bitterness and hatred yes. and resentment, uh, trying to help people, trying to protect young people. You don't need to go that way yes. because it is a thought that will create it. God made you male or female and he loves you, but it's thoughts. Again, if you start thinking, well, if I was a little girl when I was such a tomboy and I love my shorts and being a tomboy, I thought, oh, i got brothers, they're boys, I'm girls. If I had what comes at the young people today and said, well, maybe you're a boy or maybe you're a girl, uh, but God says I made you a girl. And uh, this thought realm starts to think when somebody says, I think you're a boy or you're a girl yes. and you've got to dress that way or you're doing, you start to think like that. And we press know the power of words. Yes. Uh, television know the power of words. And thoughts will be planted in people's minds and their hearts. Yes. They start to think like that. It affects your emotions. It affects your feelings until you actually believe something that you're not. Yes, I understand. That's how powerful it yes. is. And, and as you've been describing through the story of your life, the power of the Word of God that can penetrate and, and um, give strength and a foundation for who you are becoming, who He wants you to become. Uh, That's right, because uh, from the time you're born and what is spoken over your life, or what you're brought up into, but you don't have to stay that way. Yes. You can change it. It doesn't matter what you've been through in life and horrific things happen in people's lives, uh, but you don't have to stay that way. When you know Jesus Christ and you know the power of his words and the love of his words and you take your refuge in him yes, and you start to seek him, you start to know about the power of words, you start to know about the mind. It wouldn't matter what's happened in your life. It's overcoming. Amen. It's temporal. Amen. It's subject to change. And you'd start to learn greater is he that is in you yes. than he that is in the world. And you start to learn life is in the tongue. Yes. Death is in the So I can bring myself out of that place of depression, out of that place where I've been hurt, or bitterness, and I think one of the, the greatest things I've ever learned is forgive. Mm. Unforgiveness holds us in a place of bondage. Amen. Um, and in I think it's in uh, Mark eleven twenty five. It says, "If we have unforgiveness in our heart, we we'll receive nothing." Yes. And we learn to forgive and forget because that's what Jesus did for us. Yes. He looks at our past. It doesn't matter where we've been, what we've done. And when we come to him and say, Lord, forgive me, come into my life, our past is completely wiped yes. out. And even with one another is if giving one another, Lord, I forgive. Yes. You pray for that person. You say, but I can't forgive them. It's been so horrible. It hurt. You just pray for them and you find God takes it. Yes. And you think, oh, did they ever really hurt me? Yes. And, uh, you know, I look at the press, I look at the LGBT, I mean, I have nothing against them. I love them because I pray for them yes. and I pray they come to know. And that's what you, you want because you know your heart is right with him and I think that is the most important thing in life. Amen. 
Margaret, it has been a delight to talk with you and to hear about how God has carried you into the highest places of influence and success and also reached down into the the centre of your being and given you a strength and a a word of comfort and assurance about what he's doing in you and through you. You are a much-valued Australian because of the successes on the tennis court, but I know that it means more to you to hear well done, good and faithful servant. That, Thank that you. audience You're of one. Up the wonderful work too. Thank you. Been Thank wonderful you. Talking to you. you too. God bless you, okay. Margaret Court. Yeah. Bye. God bless.